welcome back to another episode of Scream Squad. We took a week off, but we are here back in the dungeon. And we, uh, as always, are, of course, uh, myself, Chico Leo, and uh, my partner in crime. Yeah, I'm, I'm the cohort. I'm Leo Fairman. What's going on, y'all? So, um, yeah, no, we, uh, we, we took a week off. You know, summer is coming to a close. And uh, this week we're going to talk about... Um, well, we're going to talk about Maniac Cops, and uh, in particular, the Maniac Cop in the uh, titular, you know, in the movie Maniac Cop. Uh, but we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about some others. Um, it's a rich vein. <laughs> Maniac, yeah, it is. A, it is a very rich vein, including in uh, in in real life, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but Maniac Cop, I feel like, I mean, so Maniac Cop came out in 1988. Uh, it's directed by William Lustig and written and produced by Larry Cohen, um, who himself is a director with a pretty rich, um, you know, oeuvre, as they say. Um, Maniac Cop uh, became a franchise. There are several sequels. At least Maniac Cop 2 and 3 came out in the early 90s. And there's a remake in the works supposed to come out next year, 2018, which will be 30 years uh, since the original Directed by none other than, um, what is the, uh, William Rafing, the guy who did oh, the Pusher Nic- series. Oh, Nicholas Vinding Refn. Yes, yeah. exactly. Sorry. Yeah. He has, uh, been attached to do the, uh, the remake of Maniac Cop. Kind, kind of perfect. I also wonder, like, do we, I mean, need that story now? I mean, I guess, I guess if there's, there's something interesting you could do with it, and there's also something really ignorant you could do with it. I, I and I, I agree with that. Um, so it it wasn't a super success when it came out, but it's become a, a, a like you know a, a cult film enough that it got sequels, and I feel like it's the last of an era um, in the sense of a uh, last franchise of a specific era era in 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 horror, but also um, it's the very sort of tail end of. A New York that, um, ironically enough, you see the early days of in the new HBO David Simon series, um, The Deuce. So, like, The Deuce takes place in 1971 and is almost the Gotham to um, Mad Men's Metropolis. Mad Men and it took place from 1960 to 1970 and presented a very certain kind of New York. And The Deuce starts out in 71. Um, and is the very sort of flip side, the seamier underbelly of that New York. How, um, how did I miss that it was it's specifically 71? That's where the... Yeah, there's actually a shot in the opening, in the pilot of the deuce that shows the World Trade Center under construction. Ah. Um, and the attention to detail in the deuce is is pretty remarkable given that it's, you know, 2017 and it's doing 1971. You could say the same level of details in there in Maniac Cop uh, because it <laughs> takes place in 1988 and is shot in 1988. Um, yeah. There's even stuff that I remember. I mean, the first sort of kill in the opening sequence is in front of uh, Rocks in Your Head Records, which is like a record store that I remember going to um, in high school. And um, But it really is, um, you know, Giuliani took over in 92. He, of course, took a lot of credit for a lot of things that Dinkins, David Dinkins, had been the previous mayor uh, from 88 to 92 and um, I think that uh, 
you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I, Giuliani took uh, credit for a lot of things that Dinkins did that sort of ended that 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 New York of the Warriors, the New York of, you know, um, the peep shows and Times Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all of that. Yeah. Um, and so there were that New York did exist, um, but it's on its way out at the time of Maniac Cop. Um, yeah. Maniac Cops even cast it's it's got Bruce, a, a young Bruce Campbell, um, who has become sort of a staple um, in like sort of B horror. Uh, and uh, what what's the, uh, the 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 franchise that he's most known? Evil, for? Evil Dead would be probably yeah exactly probably Evil his, Dead his game. Ashverse yeah exactly. So and and it has Richard Roundtree who played Shaft yeah, uh, which I think the first Shaft came out in seventy one. Um, which was definitely in that New York. I feel like um, I feel like this start this kicks off Richard Roundtree's like weird career of sort of guest starring in tons of shit. Where yeah. like, because he's not like a singular character in this. He's you know he's probably like one of the flatter of the of the top of the top of the marquee here. Um, but right. he did a bunch of movies like that, <laughs> like around this time where it was like, dude, just coming to cash in a check, and you know people want to hire him because he's reliable and a recognizable face. But you know. He doesn't. So William Lustig, the director, and Larry Cohen are both New York filmmakers. Um, Lustig is actually the nephew of Jake LaMotta, um, if you want to throw in another just sort of weird New York character in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake LaMotta is, of course, uh, Robert, you know, Robert De Niro plays him famously in, uh, in Raging Bull. But um, and and Larry Cohen and 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 a lot all their movies take place in New York. Um, Lustig had actually made uh, uh, an early '80s movie called um, Maniac, right? But we're talking about Maniac Cop. Um, and uh, Larry Cohen, the writer and and producer, um, he does a lot of horror movies that involve like police procedurals stuff mm-hmm. in it, mm-hmm. but they're actually horror movies, and that definitely is what this is. Yeah, um, I think it's alive uh, is is perhaps uh, what what he's most known for. But um, my favorite uh, Larry Cohen movie is actually Cue the Winged Serpent," about an actual like dinosaur or dragon that basically takes up residence in the Chrysler Building and has really bad but lovable um, sort of stop motion like King Kong like special like, effects like uh, some Harry ha- Harry Harryhausen shit yeah <laughs> but not as classy as as Harryhausen and and they actually get away with it because a lot of the shots are like these aerial helicopter shots from the flying dinosaurs point of view is that movie played as a horror or is it something else it's the tone of that movie is all over the place and okay. it's one of those movies that uh, is kind of a disaster and kind Kind of a brilliant, you know, genius piece of art at the same time. Um, I highly recommend it. Cue, cue the Winged Serpent. But um, yeah, so Maniac Cop, the cast and the vibe, I mean, it's really coming at the end of an era. You know, this is actually Times Square had not started, you know, or or the very beginnings. I think maybe like the the theaters had been shut down, but there was no, like, you know, Disney productions going right. on in Times Square. It was still... I remember going to a Sweet 16 in, like, 87 in, a, in like, one of... I guess the fancy hotels had started springing up because it was in a fancy hotel. And it was the only time I ever actually was in a porno theater. And, you know, we were, like, 15 years old. And, and, and they... Uh, 
you know, they, they let us in the porno theater is the only time <laughs> that I've ever, ever, ever been in a porno theater. But it's still 88. It's still the gritty, you know, Gotham, you know, New York, Crime Alley and, and all of that. And Maniac Cop, I mean, is about there is someone dressed as a cop is killing people. Yeah. And one of the things that's really interesting, of course, is that people trust a figure who's a cop. Um, and so that, that in itself kind of says something, um, right. It's, it's know. a killer that it's a killer to whom the, the victims might very well run to for, right. you know, for, for safety I mean, like a killer is following me. Oh shit. You're the killer is kind of one of the twists in this. And so the cop actually has his own, you know, saying this is sort of like a, a, a franchise that comes at the end of an era. It's uh, like the cop has a billy club that has a knife like he yeah. in, in it. And so he like basically takes the knife out of the billy club. Um, it's sort of like a like a reverse daredevil type type of thing. And um, yeah, it reminds me of he, a clockwork orange. Of, you know, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Actually. Yeah. That, that, good. Good. Yeah. And he, you know, cuts people up with it. And um, we don't know who the cop is. We we actually think that it's the, that it's Bruce Campbell for a while, who is a real live cop who has uh, been cheating. He's caught cheating on his wife. And because he can't, like, explain his whereabouts, it happens right around the same time as one of the murders. Yeah. But it turns out that the cop is, in fact, an undead um you know, basically, right? He's a zombie. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's weird because, like, there are aspects of the film that try to play up the reality of, like, the reasonability of this guy actually perhaps being this cop that may have died, but maybe he didn't. Or there's something, you know, ooky going on with it. I felt, I felt like there was, a, there was, there was kind of a, kind of a Jason type of, you know, quality to, and you know, plus he has the like, he has a, he has like a kind of mother figure or romance figure that dotes on him and he is extremely large and can kind of like but yet can disappear from the scene of a crime pretty well <laughs> so uh is, do they is there a hard line like supernatural concept here well he definitely is is undead or brought back from the dead you know in the fact people shoot him and at first they think he's wearing a bulletproof vest and that's why he's not right, going down. But right. then someone shoots him in the head. Supposedly, really, supposedly he shoots him in the head. He, the, the woman claims she does, but... Right. Well, he doesn't, and he doesn't go down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ever. And so in that way, he's like Jason. I think actually the Jason analogy is is actually, you know, is a good one. Um, and it, but, but the difference is, is that it really takes place in like the Frank Miller Daredevil New York. It's all, yep. you know, at night and scenes of like people in like sleazy bars or in alleys or on like lonely streets, like like that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I want to say there was even a Hell's Kitchen moment in it. Is the, yeah. yeah, right. Like they, there's a scene in Hell's Kitchen where a killing, killing takes place there. So yeah. yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't skimp on the killings either. I mean, there's definitely um, you get your 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 maniac uh, yep. you know quotient from this cop. Yeah, I I, I in fact like I want to make special mention of that that first. I really love the first kill. Uh, right. the, of the, of the, the boyfriend who gets like, you know, tossed onto the car and there's like right. this great shot of just like his very unrealistic pooling blood, like flying all over the broken windshield. And I'd, like, that's, that's a really artful kill. Um, I like the one that he actually smothers a guy in like new concrete, like concrete yeah. being poured. And so yeah. like in, in a sidewalk yep. and he kind of just sticks, sticks the guy's face in that, mm-hmm. um, 
And then, of course, they can't, you know, the, the, the next scene is them using jackhammers to try and get yeah. out of there. <laughs> That's good. That is really good. Right. Um, and so the interesting thing is that, um, you know, there's a cop who's after the maniac cop. At first, the cops don't want to believe, in fact, that that it's one of their own, you know, who's doing the killing. Mm-hmm. Um, they think it's someone impersonating a cop, but he believes that it actually is a cop. And um, the guy who actually is like the, not chief of police, but sort of the head uniform guy, uh, is another really great character actor. He played Conan's father in the uh, 82 John Milius Conan the Barbarian, which is one of my absolute all-time favorite movies. And he's he's been in, you know, like 100 yeah, movies. Yeah, he's been a lot of shit. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it turns out that, you know, they, they find... Uh, you know, these old files on a policeman who was imprisoned in Sing Sing for police, uh, for, uh, police brutality and like, you know, city hall corruption type stuff. And, and, and it's, that's sort of where, you know, it's sort of this interesting thing. Like, um, you know, in, 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 in the real world, obviously there's been all of these police murders that have been captured, you know, of police murdering citizens, uh, that have been captured on cell phone cameras that, you know, frankly, have been going on all along. There's even, you know, reference to to some of that in this. They're interviewing people and, and um, you know, you're, you're, depending on who they interview, people have different reactions or, or levels of surprise that it could actually be a cop killing people. But, you know, um, something that jumped out at me was like, I think two or two weeks ago, maybe there was the nurse in Utah who got like manhandled by the cops and because she wouldn't let them take blood from her patient. And that seemed to surprise a lot of people who don't deal with this stuff on a regular basis. Um, in my neighborhood, a um, a five month pre- a, a woman who was five months pregnant was actually thrown on her belly in the middle of Fifth Avenue in Sunset Park because she was trying to stop the cops. They were arresting her son, but they threw her on her belly. Um, and the cop who did that got like cop of the month at the precinct like two weeks later. <laughs> So no, seriously, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. No, I, I, um, I, I, I don't doubt it, nor nor do I laugh out of doubt. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, yeah. it was, and it was like right after an incident where cops like beat up, uh, you know, a guy who was the crime was like selling socks, and they beat him really badly with a billy club, and you know, he literally was selling tube socks, um, and so it there there really is the notion of like, well, you know, our depending on who you ask you know are all cops maniacs right i mean yeah like i mean i i was arrested when i was a young teen for assaulting a police officer i got the shit beat out of me uh when i was uh 16 by a police officer and i I even had witnesses um i had an adult who like came and like got involved in the altercation it was it was some whole shit uh i had to actually go meet with the da and work on a stuff i think there's actually i think there's a statute of limitations on me even talking about this that's like way long gone um so, I mean, I'm uh, there. I always say that there are two types of people in the world. They're the type of people who feel comforted when they hear the squawk of a walkie talkie and the type of people who like get the shit scared out of them. And I'm definitely the latter. Um, yeah, like that's to me one of the most disturbing sounds possible is like the squawk of a walkie talkie in the distance coming closer. And so like in, in horror, the notion of to cert- to a certain audience, the cop being the bad guy, the authority, like the authority figure that you can quote unquote trust mm-hmm. is, is sort of the ultimate terror. And yet to a lot of people, 
you know, um, that that is, in fact, not that, you know, not the case to begin with. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting uh, thinking about it in a horror context, because I feel like there's another layer of that, of the characterization of police, which is the idea of police being unable to deal with a bigger threat, because I feel like that's leveraged in a lot of horror. Where it's like, okay, we got we got to the cops. Oh God, the cops are already dead. <laughs> like that's a right, right, right. That's a whole nother. Twist. Or the cops just can't handle. It, right, you know? right. Or like they're like, I'll take care of this. Shooting at the chud, and the chud yeah. just keeps coming. Or <laughs> exactly, you know, whatever. Like cops, cops in horror. Uh, if they're not the bad guys, which often they're not in in horror movies, they're usually ineffectual. Right, right, exactly. Or they just show up at the end after everything, you know, after, you know, right. Jamie Lee Curtis has dispatched <laughs> Michael or whatever, then the cops show up. Yep. Um, and so they're either, yeah, they're either sort of bumbling or, you know, or, or they're the bad guy. I think, you know, so one, it's not really a horror movie, but in, you know, T2, um, you know, I thought the, you know, the image of the implacable, like the, 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 the relentless T-1000 constantly coming and drive, riding around in a cop car, pretending to be a cop, you know, that was, um, I mean, that, that, that definitely is, is an image, you know, I mean, basically yeah. he can go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants and people seem to trust him until, you know, he sticks knives in their face through containers of milk and stuff like that. Well, but it, um, it's funny. Isn't that interesting? Because in Terminator 2, he's in a certain way the worst person to come find Edward James Furlong's character, Edward Furlong's right. character, because Edward Furlong's character, like, exists on, like, the fringes of, you know, legality. <laughs> so it's like, that's the that's the most, uh, you know, omnipresent. And he sticks out like a sore thumb, sore thumb in that kid's world. He's like, oh shit, it's the cops. I, I don't even know that the cops are trying to kill me, but I need to get the fuck out because I'm sure it's not good. Right. So it's it's weird. He's almost like a horrible cipher to, to have selected to try to to try to chase down John Connor. It's kind of a bad idea. Well, I mean, I just again, you know, sci-fi and horror are like the two genres that most I think you know can 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 actually tackle social issues without feeling preachy just through through right. through their sort of outlandish plots and stuff like that and i just think that they they were on to something um you know here especially in this new york you know um it's interesting because we brought up the deuce earlier and the deuce takes place in 1971 and of course the only there's an interaction with the you know, with with a you know white college girl, a white college mm -hmm. female, white college student with the cops, where she's caught buying speed, and of course, you know, she gets off. Whereas um, earlier in the episode, there's a trio of pimps who actually they know the cops, and yet still they're guarded in their first. You know, they're not sure what's going to happen, and then you know the the two cops and the three pimps just kind of you know they 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 have like you know whatever funny conversation conversation but the difference between how black men and white women are treated by cops in 1971 is clearly you know i mean david simon obviously wanted to make a point yeah i mean even the fact that lawrence gilliard jr's character um when the when the college girl whose name is escaping me right now uh comes into the precinct and is arrested like he sort of treats her like listen girl like you're gonna be fine like you're right. you're a white college girl like just have a seat like We'll hang out here for a while and we'll, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll get back to your dorm. <laughs> and there's like a black dude talking to her. Like, like, it's like, 
my the the people that I work for would not treat me with that same like, right like level of respect. But like you're gonna get it, so fucking relax. Just a, a quick shout out. Um, what was the the vampire movie that you and I really liked? The, the there was a, it was like slow paced about the black kid and the projects. Oh, and, uh, the um, the transfiguration. Yeah, the transfiguration. So um, one of the college girls' friends is in fact the female lead from the transfiguration. Um, oh, I watched really? The, uh, I watched the pilot. Yeah, I watched the pilot twice, and the first time I was like, "Wow, she looks really familiar." And the second time, I uh, oh, that's so cool. We're talking about the deuce here again. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Depending on who you are, the squawk of the walkie-talkie or the what you call it of the siren, um, you know, could be either the best thing or the worst thing. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, I mean, to many, you know, the cops are just another gang in the Warriors, you know. It's interesting that in, in, in Mad Max, well, or rather I should say in the Road Warrior, um, not so much the, 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 the most recent one, but in the Road Warrior, all the bad guys are former cops. Like the, the humongous, oh, is, right. his army are actually like former cops who've decided to, you know, basically, you know, it's easier to be like a pillager than to defend, you know, the defenseless against pillagers. And that, that, you know? that's an interesting counter or, or evolution as well, because like in the original Mad Max, the even the the roles of authority in that, all of them are like harder and harder to distinguish between, you know, the cop presence and the and the thugs in the in the dirt roads. Like right. they like the cops even dress in like crazy leather and you know, like and kind of like yeah. have a certain presence where it's like they're pretty much almost already transitioning into thugs themselves. Right. Because they have to be that to deal with them. I mean I think in in The Walking Dead there was definitely a sequence where some cops took over a hospital um and they you know yeah another group that you just have to deal with um and so yeah the 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 and yet you know i you think about this like a famous norman rockwell painting of like a kid sitting at a counter a soda right. counter with like a friendly cop and like the image that is presented of like friendly cops you know that are very much you know i mean you can go into the whole i mean it's who who they're friendly to i mean our our police our system of policing or whatever does actually come from like slave catchers mm -hmm. and you know they're about defending you know defending the property and you know of the moneyed classes against you know the the um un unmoneyed classes essentially the um there were draft riots in New York uh, early in the Civil War or during the Civil War where rich people, because rich people could just pay $200, which was a lot of money in the 1860s to avoid getting drafted and poor people couldn't. Poor people rioted and they robbed, you know, they ran uptown and rampaged and they just robbed, like they just ran into all the rich buildings and robbed people and took all their stuff, like their furniture and their paintings off the walls. And the cops responded by, you know, the next week, they just went down downtown to where poor people live and they just took all the nice stuff out of people's houses. There was no sense of like, oh, well, this came from, you know, East 82nd Street or whatever. So like all these immigrants who had brought over like you know the you know the one nice painting they owned or the one nice bureau or nice piano or whatever right. just had that completely confiscated by the cops 
um, you know, overnight. They just literally, the cops just came down like an army and just went through everyone's houses and basically anything that looked nice, they took out. And, um, you know, I don't know if it ended up back with the rich people or with the cops or some combination, but it's very, you know... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the cool. same shit that happens to, like, drug dealers who get their houses turned. It's like, oh, right. we're just going to, you know, take this piano. And now, you know, with the Republicans, they cut taxes. And now there's many police forces that can't survive. I mean, I think that was one of the things with Ferguson. The only way they could survive was essentially by, you know, ticketing people and by, you know, doing, you know, pulling people over and taking whatever was in their cars, taking their cars. You know, the the, uh, asset forfeiture is now an actual real thing in our country that 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 police forces quite literally it's not like a bonus for no them. they can't survive yeah. without it yeah it's like a, it's and like that's a pros- terrifying it's a prospected income it's like no right. it's like we're gonna need to you know relinquish at least like two million dollars this year to like keep functioning so cops are literally out on the roads i mean this is fucking mad max or the road warrior you know what i mean it's yeah. the road warrior it's not even mad max it's the road warrior cops are out on the road Literally hunting for for stuff that they can take, so that their the lights can stay on in their police department, so that the you know so that they can get paid, so that you know, and 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 then now you now have they're actually giving you know discounted military items to these cops. I mean, it's it's really you want to talk about. I mean maniac cop i mean we're we're living in the age of maniac cop just it's 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 maniacal i mean there's no other way to describe it so you have cops that have to take stuff from people in order to you know in order to 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 maintain a paycheck i mean how 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 different is that from like a stagecoach hold up it's it's not or like you know billy the kid or jesse james i mean they are literally they have to do that and now they're giving them, you know, uh, you know, hardcore military items. Yeah, it's the perils of unrestricted capitalism. Right. A- absolutely. And they're using these demonstrations that are going on basically to test out tactics, to test out weapons. We have, um, you know, the longest war in American history, right? And there's an actual funnel that exists funneling at, like like people who were serving overseas and, you know, were policing you know, um, Iraqis or, um, you know, Afghani people who, you know, they, they treat it as enemy. And then there's an actual funnel that puts those people into the police department here. Um, and, and they're using the tactics that they use there. Um, it's really, it's, it's mind boggling. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, in our city, the NYPD is bigger than something like, I, I don't know, like, it's like, it's like as big as like the, the the twelfth largest army like of a nation, um, and so uh, yeah, so the notion of an undead maniac cop going around cutting people up, uh, you know, Clockwork Orange style, who can't be put down, I you know, again, I feel like there's more to it than just a uh, you know just some slasher film. Well, there's a twist on it too because um, you know as the story for Maniac Cop progresses and they get into the they get into his background, um, they do describe this kind of like mythological narrative of this cop who was yeah like essentially uh, abusing his power severely, but also quote unquote getting things done. 
until he was finally, uh, you know, turned against by his administration and then, you know, buried in a prison and then ki- and then later killed. But the idea is that there is a revenge factor as well. Like he wants, he is, he is killing people on the street, but he is also killing police. Like he is right. getting revenge on the system that betrayed him because he thought he had their support and then they turned on him when it was politically sound. Um, so it's, he's, he's dangerous to society and he's also dangerous to the monsters that made him. It's also interesting. I got to say that you mentioned the, 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 the J, I mean, the more I think about it, the Friday the 13th, cause there's a revenge factor there with Jason. Right. But also the very end of this, they think they've uh, actually killed the maniac cop. And the final shot is definitely the hand coming out of the East river. Um, or Hudson River. I can't remember. That is some good, you know, that's some good stunt work. I had to rewind, rewind one of the last shots in the film, like where he actually, you know, where it's the death of the cop and he falls out of the truck and whatnot. Um, right. That's like a stunt man. Like, oh, I yeah. was like looking to see if that was a dummy because, like, if you look at it quickly, you look, it looks like a dummy, but like, that's a stunt man jumping off a fucking paddy wagon <laughs> into the water and like, and it's fully recorded. It looks so unsafe. It looks really, really unsafe. Um, yeah, shout out to uh, to that to that stunt person doing that. It's a pretty great shot. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, stunt people are the the un, um, you know, what was it? There's a Deadpool two. Oh that yeah, a, that's a, a stunt ho- woman just died. That's a, that's a horribly sad and like as the story gets elaborated on, like potentially like really f- fucked up and very preventable. Right. She was not. She shouldn't have been doing what she was doing. That's what it looks like. like not yeah. not on her. It was on the production. Um, but yeah, so I you know. Um, there really is, I mean, this is among the many things, you know, that we have to deal with. I mean, you know, there's a climate change and, you know, not not even talking about our stupid, you know, the politics with other countries and stuff like that. But this militarization of the police, as well as the maniac side of it, where they're, they're, they're either, you know, there's less and less culpability on the cops. I mean... You know, again, in the stories, you know, you have Jim Arpaio, who essentially is a maniac cop, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who was, in fact, you know, convicted by a court and was just pardoned by the president. And he was he was doing whatever. I mean, it was literally out of the road warrior. He he styled himself like like a guzzling warlord. You know, um, how how different is the humongous than Jim Arpaio? You know, yeah. and of course, bringing it all full circle, the humongous is a hockey mask like. Like Jason. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the Jasonification um, of the police force. <laughs> right. And 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 it's going on as we speak. I mean, you know, there the back in the day, the notion that these guys would have tanks and sound cannons and you know the the sort of you know the the, the SWATification, which um I think started in the seventies um, where the cops started using as an excuse that, you know, drug dealers and gangsters had, like, you know, better equipment than them. So they sort of started, I mean, there weren't, you know, SWAT teams are a relatively modern invention, you know, the last, like, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, giving them the, the bulletproof vests and the flash grenades and the, and the but we're so far behind, you know, beyond that i mean they're like fucking seal teams and you know they've got you know snipers who were shoot first you know there was never and you know when when that guy killed five cops down in 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 texas i guess last year there 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 was not even like the the hint of like oh we're gonna try and get him alive no yeah you know 
So I, you know, I mean the, you know, so so the idea is that it's thirty years later, and like you said in the beginning, I think that you know, it could be a very ignorant thing or a very timely thing, but I think that a remake of Maniac Cop, you know, which is a sort of little cult horror. Although it's it, it, it feels a little I, I don't know I, I don't want to sort of give it short shrift by saying it's a little cult movie because it's a little cult movie the way Terminator is a little cult movie it's know? a it's a million um, dollar film yeah you know, it's um, not it's not like a B movie or anything like that right it's a, so you know but I I think that it's it's wildly timely and you know I'm not saying that these discussions aren't happening because I know that they are all over the place. But both the la- the combination, the militarization, the lack of accountability, and then this notion that that you know with the asset forfeiture, where you're driving down. I mean, there was a famous case a few years ago where a pastor had just raised money, like he had all the money from his congregation and was actually going to buy a new church, like literally buy a new church, and they stopped him, and he had this cash, and the cops just took it. You know, hmm. a pastor. And that's that's the world that we live in now, you know, and and the fact that that it's legal and that the it's not just that it's legal. The cops are forced to do that. You know, um, I'm not at all defending the cops in Ferguson, but that but they the Ferguson Police Department could not survive without them ticketing 85 percent of the you know black folks who lived in the city limits. Right. I mean, it, it, it creates this contradiction where. The idea is that they project a message where it's like follow, you know, the letter of the law and just like, you know, be responsible and make sure you teach your kids that. But the truth is we go and get paid. So follow it or not follow it. Like our, you know, we all we all look at this as like part of our food. So we're going to eat. So what you know, what exactly is the is the real message that's being shared between the word and the action? And I think, you know, overall, I I think when you have, you know, there's clearly people who are genuinely, who, you know, naive people who didn't, who really are shocked when they see these cell phone videos. They don't really, you know, maybe they've heard anecdotally that these things go on, but they, you know, they weren't, they, they are shocked. And then they're, you know, they're triply shocked when you have like a nurse who's another position of authority, but a white woman, you know, getting manhandled by cops and arrested for doing her job. Um, and, it, and in fact, was illegal what the cops were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, in fact, both morally and legally in the right. But, there, you know, it, it erodes any kind of sense of authority. Um, it is, you know, and then you end up with situations like during the hurricane when li- literally undocumented people are afraid to go seek shelter. And and so then you end up with all these people in putting themselves in at risk, thus possibly putting, you know, putting, uh, you know, the, the search, the search and rescue, the law enforcement, you know, the firefighters, the first responders, those people at risk because of the 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 insanity the maniacal maniac cops you know it mm-hmm. all it all comes full circle um right i mean like like most undocumented immigrants are still going to are, are going to do their most to to avoid services that they believe will 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 threaten them or put them in danger it's similar to how um you know like needle exchange programs and like these days they're mostly donation programs not exchange but uh needle exchange programs always have like you know these certain standards that they set where they're like okay we're servicing a drug consumer community so you cops can't come here 
Because right. if like you guys drive your fucking car around here or you guys walk your beat here, no drug users are going to come here for shit because they're just going to be like you're, they're going to get arrested or they're going to get hassled. And they'll do stuff. I was I was reading like you know some experiences for for one of those workers. Well, they'll literally like call the precinct and complain and be like, "You guys keep driving here today. Like, leave us alone, or we can't do our work." Um, and it's like the same shit where it's like you know if 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 you're undocumented, like there, it's beyond just saying, "Hey, you guys will be fine. Don't worry about it. Come to the shelter." It's like, well, would you believe the people of authority telling you that? Like, I mean, I, I totally understand why they don't or won't. Um, I mean, I don't think we've seen anything to, to, to describe otherwise. I mean, I remember in, in Gangs of New York, which actually is pretty much my least favorite Martin Scorsese movie, but, um, and does actually include the aforementioned draft riots. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in Gangs of New York, the cops are just, you know, arms. They're just like, like armed wings of the various political factions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I wonder, you know, is, is Maniac Cop just some weird, like, you know, back then he's portrayed as like an outlier. Um, and I'm not. This is not to say that there aren't good people who are caught. Like, don't right, you know, right. not all. You know, we 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 are aware of that. But Akai Gurley, who was the um, the guy who was killed, walking with his girlfriend in the stairwell of his own building, and was shot by a cop. And that cop was Asian American because that that cop was one of the only cops who shot an unarmed person who, in fact, was you know, was charged. The Asian American community around me actually marched over the bridge in defense of that cop. And it was almost like, Hmm. I don't know. I mean, like was their point seemed to be, well, you know, white cops are able to shoot, you know, unarmed black people. Why can't Chinese cops do it too? And that, (laughs) that seemed to be essentially what they were saying. I mean, the, the, the cop, you know, this was a situation where, you know, quote unquote, his gun went off, you know, and he clearly was not supposed to be, have his gun out in the stairwell. And this guy was walking with his walking his girlfriend back to her apartment or his or his wife. I, I'm not even sure. I think they might have actually had an infant with them. And they shot this dude, you know, and, and clearly I'm sure I'm sure that it was a mistake and all that. But, you know, you make a mistake at your job and you get fired. If you make a mistake at your job and it causes some loss of life. You know, you should at least get fired if not prosecuted. You right. know, with great powers comes great response, or you know, comes great responsibility and all that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, is 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 maniac cop a sign of like what's to come? Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think like one of the one of the clear messages is that this is a system that makes monsters, right. Absolutely. I mean, and that's a whole other thing. I mean, the, you know, um, you know, the rates of alcoholism, the rates of domestic violence. I mean, you know, cops don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to go seek help for some of these issues or whatever, because it's on your record and it'll prevent like a certain kind of advancement or something like that. And, you know, in, in your career, it'll affect your career negatively or, People, you know, the other cops might think poorly of you. I mean, there's a whole, and then then you get into the whole blue wall of silence in the sense that, um, you know, um, there are good cops who then do terrible things by not turning in terrible, you know, bad cops. Right. I certainly do think that you know the majority of cops are not bad, but when all the cops, you know, stand in defense of the bad cops. 
I, you know, then, 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 then they're all, then maybe, yeah, I mean, then, then they're all bad, you know, um, and that is the problem. I think, uh, you know, we, we have like, you know, a totally, you know, uh, a civilian review board that is, you know, has no power to enforce anything, you know, it's, it's a joke. This is a real upbeat episode of the old Scream Squad. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, and, and, and even in Maniac Cop, I mean, the cop who's hunting him down is a good cop. Yeah, yeah, I, I wanted to say, like, it, this is a this is a deal where it's like the, you know, chicken, everything Chicken Little says is correct. <laughs> like, that cop, right. like, predicts every step of this that happens. He predicts the truth on it. And, yeah, he's actually, he's a good counter counterpoint to all the bullshit. But, you know, it is interesting. I'm just the examples that we've brought up. I mean, it's, you know, it's harmless enough in the deuce when they let the white girl off for buying speed. And then you have like, you know, the T-1000 who you could definitely say in in Terminator 2 who represents this like new, unstoppable, militarized, you know, uh, police force that will roll in a tank over the bones of, you know, of whoever's standing in the way to, you know, to the, the end result is, you know, maniac cop and, you know, the road warrior where the cops just switch sides. Right. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't, I don't have any, uh, you know, sort of quip to, uh, to, 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 to end that up on, but I do definitely recommend maniac cop. I mean, it was a series it definitely represents a place and time yeah. that that is the setting for, I mean, I think uh, on the second episode of um, Scream Squad, Jamie and I talked about Miss 45. Mm-hmm. And this this is sort of the, 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 you know, the tail end of that New York. You know, that's the New York of Chud, you know, the New York of the ro- of, of the Warriors. You know, uh, it's, it is the New York of the Deuce. And... Um, that New York is essentially gone, but the, uh, you know, the DC Comics, um, what's, I'm not sure what you'd call it, you know, the sort of Gotham represents one side of New York and Metropolis represents the other side. Um, you know, this is, this is the Gotham and I, I mean, I don't know, maybe we need Batman. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, and I would also recommend Maniac um, Cop and I, I, you know, much like the Transfiguration, like I love, I love how it makes New York look. It is a, it is like you said a definite time and place. It's also it also like just has a New York that's like very smoky, hazy, dark. A lot of night scenes, good like saturation on it. It's to me that's it's a pleasant thing to look at. It's, it's well nice. in the Transfiguration, and again, I um, you know we we talked about that. I guess was it on a uh, was on a Patreon thing. Might have um, been. But it, the, the, there was um, a lot of where it was shot was shot post Sandy, and so it added like this element of. Mm. You know, um, which which adds to that, you know, the, this sort of old school New York where, you know, when things fell down, they didn't get put back up again. Um, but, um, yeah, I you know, and, and actually, I just want to say, uh, speaking of Batman, uh, Len Wein uh, passed away uh, a couple of days ago. And he was a writer and editor who basically wrote every single character or and wrote or edited every single character for Marvel and DC. Um, like talent wise, he he was not you know he was not necessarily one you know one of the greatest of his generation, but he definitely wrote some great stories. He created mm-hmm. you know all the new X Men. Um, he created um, 
Lucius Fox because he did write Batman for a while. He um, he actually did a lot of the, the stuff for John John Stewart the uh, the second the Black Green Lantern. Wasn't he wasn't he the one that the whole the whole uh, the whole Lucius Fox debacle centered on? That was like him getting paid. Well, it wasn't a debacle for him. So basically, he created Wolverine and made zero month zero dollars off any of the X Men movies or Wolverine movies. And he created Lucius Fox, and just based off of Lucius Fox's appearance, but the Morgan Freeman appearances in the Nolan trilogy, was able to buy a house, right? Um, with just the small person, you know, with the with the little piece that he that you know. So DC Comics did um, was always ahead of Marvel in terms of giving ownership and um, creator rights and even credits in the comics. Um, DC was given credits before Marvel. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, in that sense. But he also edited The Watchmen. And I'm not, I didn't want that to sound like a backhanded thing. I mean, Len Wein, like he created, you know, um, Swamp Thing. And yet I think most people, when they think of Swamp Thing, they think of Alan Moore. He's extremely, extremely influential. There's a whole generation of current writers that grew up reading Len Wein stories. And so Grant Morrison is another one who's revisited a lot of the Len Wein stuff. Mm-hmm. I myself, I actually met, I met Len once um, at, in the DC offices and had like a great, like, you know, sort of half hour conversation with him. And um, he might've edited crisis on infinite earths. I mean, this guy really was, he had his hands in everything in the seventies and uh, like early to mid eighties of, of of the two main comic book companies. He even was uh, editor in chief for a year of Marvel. Um, he wrote. Uh, he did a long stand on Spider Man. You know, in the, in the hundreds. Um, you know, um, the, you know, sort of like one thirties, one forties, one twenties. He just. I mean, you know. He wrote Spider-Man. He wrote Batman. He, you know, he edited Marvel Wolfman's new Teen Titans. He created all of the new X-Men. Uh, it's just, it's, it goes on and on and on what, what he did. And so it is the passing of another, you know, I mean, we're now at an age where the, the, the Bronze Age creators are now passing. Right. And that's, that's the era of comics that I grew up in, you know, really, you know, I, I was a... I was like a devout comic book reader, you know, through the 80s, basically. I started reading comics in like 1981, 82, and I read comics till about 89. Like that was my primo prime, you know, back then comics came out on a Thursday and it was every Thursday. And look, Swamp Thing is one of the most influential, you know, we're a horror podcast. We don't necessarily talk so much about comics, but Swamp Thing is definitely one of the most influential and important horror comics. Yeah. No, I would, I would agree, and they still they still put out uh, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson's book as the first volume of Swamp Thing on Vertigo. That's right. So yeah, yeah that's... he wrote. They wrote. He wrote, and Bernie Wrightson drew most of, if not all, of the first eighteen issues, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then Alan Moore came on with issue nineteen, yeah, and completely changed the face of of comics. I mean that that actually is the genesis of Vertigo. Yeah, you yeah. know, and His so run is classic. And he actually, Karen Berger, who created Vertigo, worked with Len Wein, and um, I know that he did do some Vertigo stuff in the 90s and in the 2000s, um, 
And so, but yeah, I th- in many ways, uh, you know, Vertigo would not exist without Len Wein. I mean, that's just another incredible sort of thing that, that, that he, you know, because of Swamp Thing. Um, I mean, clearly, you know, uh, Constant- John Constantine Hellblazer, which was a Swamp Thing, you know, spinoff, and Sandman were sort of the two huge mainstays of Vertigo. Mm-hmm. But I, I do truly believe it never would have existed if Alan Moore had not taken over Swamp Thing and did what he did. Yeah. yeah. And if you're a if you're a horror, you know, if you're a horror aficionado who hasn't read Alan Moore Swamp Thing stuff, that's a must. Um, it it, it absolutely is because to even call it horror is not even to do it justice. Right. Um, it really is some of the greatest. You know, his first his, comics and horror. His first issue of his run is like one of my favorite comic single comic issues of all time. Like I know that right. entire issue by heart. The thing with the with the Floronic Man and that whole oh, that, yeah. that's uh, yep. that I will net. It's an unforgettable story. One of the most important comics in the world to me. And I mean, just while we're on the subject, I mean, Alan Moore's From Hell is probably to me the greatest horror comic ever. You know. Um, and, um, you know, that's another one where I think, you know, the Hughes brothers, they get some credit because that's, I don't know how you can make a movie out of that. And even though the movie that they made is not, is not the, the From Hell graphic novel, it's certainly... You're a From Hell film apologist, actually. I think we, I think you and I, I am actually. To I am, I don't, I am I mean, not. Again, <laughs> no, I know. I mean, if you compare the two, the two pieces of work, there is no comparison, but given the the Titanic, thing, like to me, uh, you know, um, I like the approach that they took rather than the Zack Snyder approach to the Watchmen, which was essentially he just took the Watchmen graphic, you know, the 12 issues and just turned it, he used that as storyboards. Um, so, um, you know, the, the Watchmen thing is way more faithful in terms of an Alan Moore project, but from the From Hell movie, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, what, whatever happened to those guys? Those guys should be doing, uh, should be doing a lot more than they are, I feel like. Yeah, I, yeah, I brothers. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's the last notable thing I remember hearing that they worked on. No, they've done, they, they did something since then. Oh, they didn't they do the Book of Eli, which wasn't great? I didn't see that, the Denzel Washington yeah, it was a Denzel Washington post-apocalyptic. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, I mean, there is no comparison, I mean, between the, uh, you know, From Hell, the written work, and From Hell, the, the movie. But given, you know, I think it's actually, it is one of the better comic book adaptations. Um, and it is an actual adaptation. I mean, they took it and did something different with it. Um, it's probably the last, you know, one of the last halfway decent things Johnny Depp has been involved in. <laughs> Although and now we're really off the rails. Ninth Gate is actually my I like the, last gr- the last great thing that Johnny Depp did. The Roman Plains. Yeah, movie. I like. I think Ninth Gate is fine. It's fun. I, I love Ninth yeah, Gate. I think yeah. it's actually. I think it's actually like Roman Polanski's like only great work. Like you know, you since, think you don't think the pianist is worthwhile? I think the pianist. I don't know. I also I don't like Adrian Brody. Um. So that's an issue. Um. And and so I think the pianist is very good. I feel like it was something that I've the pianist is one of these movies like the Hurt Locker. Like I just don't really understand how it won Best Picture because I felt like I'd seen it before and I felt like I'd seen it again. Maybe the pianist didn't win Best Picture, just won Best Actor. But no, they wouldn't give Roman Polanski Best Picture. But they they he did win Best Actor. I know. 
um, Adrian Brody. I don't know. I, I, I thought The Pianist was a fine movie. I just... Um, no, yeah, no. You just thought The Ninth Gate was superior to The Pianist. I'm just, repeat, I'm just I, repeating I, I, that know, sentence. I, maybe it's expectations. <laughs> I feel like I've never... The Ninth Gate is, very, is more unique than The Pianist. Um, you know... Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like there's a much larger body of work of, you know, people hiding from the Nazis during World War II than there is, you know, the devil sending you on a mission to, you know, find a book. I actually think The Ninth Gate has a lot in common with Angel Heart, which is a movie that I really love a lot. And we did talk about it on an earlier episode, Jamie and I, on an earlier episode of Scream Squad. Yeah, well, if there's one way that you're going to like figure out a satanic situation, it's going to be montages of you in a room with a lot of books on a desk. Yes. If you have enough of those montages, you'll crack it. Well, I'm kind of living that right now. <laughs> they're, they're in boxes all around me. <laughs> Well, on that note, I, I unless uh, you know, please, if you have anything more to add, Leo, I think, I think we've is, went off the rails sufficiently. Yeah, <laughs> this is like a most meandering episode, <laughs> but I kind of you're right that I wanted to get you know I wanted to end on a note that wasn't uh, you know so apocalyptic as far as the uh, you know maniac cops right. and such. The state of the police state. No, I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you did. Right. All right. Well, you know, as always, uh, keep screaming. You can, uh, you know, please follow us on Twitter um, at the Scream Squad. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, I'm I'm at Leonardo EFF, and uh, I will be in Hawaii uh, as of as of this uh, week. So check me out on Twitter. I'll be doing some good stuff. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I will not be in Hawaii, but you can. Uh, I will be in Brooklyn and you can follow me at the Chico Leo on Twitter. Right on. All right. Keep screaming. Keep screaming, everyone.